It is Monday evening. Welcome to another episode of Chapter Chat. I am Carrie Ebert, and my friend Mike from Grow Now Therapy is going to be joining us here in just a minute. So I want to thank you for taking the time to join us. We are very excited. Uh, we are starting our new book tonight. This is our second book in our. There's Mike. Let me grab him get him on here. All right. So we'll get Mike on here. Hey. Oh, I love it. I love it. Oh, this is so exciting. So many awesome people. There he is. There we are. How's it going? You know, I, my favorite day of the week. I mean, I don't know what else to say. By far the best day of the week. And we are starting a new book. And I feel like starting this new book, you know, everything went so well with that first book. It was a great start. Uh, I think now starting the second book and moving into something a little bit more detailed into school yeah. reform, uh, this has just reinvigorated me even more on these Mondays. I am so excited to chat about this book. I agree. And hello to um, anyone who's from Brazil. I'm just super excited. I have a pretty um, amazing following in Brazil. Uh, my practical wow. book recently got translated into Portuguese. And so I did a, um, a training uh, for all the uh, SLPs in Brazil, and it was just so exciting. And so I've just been getting more and more followers from Brazil. So I'm super excited about that. That's amazing. Yeah. And even with these chapter chats on Mondays, I'm, I'm getting messages from people from all around the world. And it's, 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 really, it's really incredible what we're able is. to do on these Instagram lives. Someone reached out to me last week and actually said, hey, I'm from Finland. I, Finland. I went through uh, a Finnish education. So oh. we, I'm sure we can you know, have her on to chat about her experience. And, that would be amazing. And knowing, be amazing. No, knowing that we have listeners around the world, and uh, I, always yeah. look at the, I always look at the statistics from Spotify downloads and Apple podcast downloads, and it's always incredible to see, uh, you know, the reach that we have and, and yeah, you know, we're, and we're only just starting and, you know, this we is, uh, this are. is really, this is really growing every week. It is. So if you're just joining us for the first time, uh, the first five, six episodes of Chapter Chat, we uh, read Paul Tuff's book, and it is called How Children Succeed. Uh, it was awesome. It was uh, a really invigorating book and really got us talking a lot about the cognitive hypothesis and how it is really failing uh, our students uh, here in in the United States. Um, to what we're going to do with our new book is start talking about how education looks in a different country. So um, what do you think? We didn't read chapter one. What we read this first week, Mike, was there were like two four words and then yep. there was like an introduction. So it was quite a few pages. Um, I took one, two, three. I took four pages of notes. So I feel like it was enough for uh, one episode. What did you think of the beginning um, introductions and kind of the preface uh, for this book? So they really went pretty far in depth into some of the problems that America has with our education system. And a lot of it really stems from uh, No Child Left Behind had a lot of problems with it. And then Obama had his Race to the Top program, which I, you know, I was a college student when this was happening. Uh, and now to learn sort of about some of the downfalls of it was mm -hmm. really, was really, uh, honestly, it was kind of quite shocking to kind of read yeah. like, you know, what was instilled and what was part of that program and, 
you know, it, 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 obviously this is a biased book, you know, talking about, you know, Finland versus America and all of that, but seeing kind of what was in that program really, yeah. really uh, kind of, kind of made me st- take a step back to really say, wow, uh, you know, a lot of the change and a lot of the problems we see in America's schools are really, yes, they're getting worse and worse every year now because of screens and the world we live in. But a lot of it is from some, you know, some recent political reform. Right. And um, just to clarify, so there are three editions of Finnish Lessons, which is the name of our book. And the first edition was published in 2011. This 2.0, which is the version we're reading, was published in 2015. There is a 3.0 that was literally just released in January of this year. I had already purchased 2.0, so Mike and I went ahead and did this. I looked at what 3.0 was, and basically what the author did is say, here's how Finland is continuing to be successful. You know, So, I mean, I think that obviously it would be great to read the newest uh, edition, but this is the one that we are reading. And um, so what I thought was fascinating, just like you said, it talked about you know, No Child Left Behind was 2001, and then Race to the Top, 2009, that was education yeah. reform. And it just perpetuated the problems it, that we had with um, uh, No Child Left Behind. The key ingredients of both of these programs, especially the Race to the Top, was increased testing and higher accountability, making teachers accountable for their students' you know, success or lack thereof. And um, what was so fascinating is right off, I mean, right up front, they start talking about what this book is, that in Finland, schools are a standardized testing-free zone. Exactly. They don't yep. do standardized testing. Um, uh, uh, they do it one time um, in uh, near the end, you know, when it's close to graduation. Um, and so what's so interesting is it said, Finland has taught us that a nation can consciously build an admirable school system if it pays close attention to, are you ready for this shocker? The needs of children. Look at that. Look at that. If we paid attention to the needs of children, if it selects and prepares educators well, and if it builds educational communities that are not only pretty to look at, right? We're not talking about these beautiful buildings that win awards for architecture, but that are also conducive to the joys of teaching and the joys of learning. Powerful stuff. Yep. And here we have a a great comment. Imagine the billions of dollars we could pay our teachers without paying for tests. This is 100% true. And if you knew the amount of money that goes into these tests, it's because these tests always come from these huge, massive corporations like a Pearson's or a Lingua Systems, whatever it may be. So if if you only knew the amount of money that went into these testings, into the creation, the creation of the testings, uh, making sure that they're valid, they're reliable, all the science behind right. them and everything else. It's really insane. But another thing, to t- another point to make is uh, Finland is this standardized testing free zone, but they do have standardized testing towards the end of high school. So there is mm-hmm. some standardized testing, but it's right around the time of graduation. Right, but, the, right. but, the, but the important thing to note is that students in Finland who go all these years without standardized testing when they do finally go through standardized testing, they are highly competitive against the rest of the world. And they, yeah. and, and they score very high and they go on to great success. Right. So um, this whole idea, and, and this is what was talked about in, in um, the very beginning of this book, is that, you know, Americans, we have this love affair, if you will. That's what I would call this love affair uh-huh. with, with the cognitive hypothesis, right? Um, so what we have done is said, okay, 
Um, we need to test more. We need to start sooner, right? This whole idea of great inflation. You know, we have, um, you know, uh, four-year-olds who are trying to learn to read and write, which is so developmentally not even close to appropriate. Um, and yet American schools have steadily declined in relation to international benchmarks. So what I found, like, I just sort of yelled out loud when I read this. Einstein's definition of madness. Yes. Keep doing the same thing over and over while expecting to get a different result. And I feel like that's what happened. We had no child left behind. It didn't work. So then we did race to the top. It didn't work. So now we have common core. It doesn't work. I mean, we just keep doing the same thing over and over. And we are literally living out the definition of madness, right? Where we just keep saying, nope, we just got to start sooner. Um, we're going to deny children their childhood. We're going to make sure that, you know, toddlers are are learning their letters, numbers, shapes, and colors. We're going to be force-feeding academics in kindergarten. We're going to be, you know, expecting kindergartners to be able to journal. Um, you know, we're mm. going to remove all play from early childhood. We're going to remove all recess from elementary school. And we're going to we're gonna do better. We're going to be competitive in, um, you know, uh, in, in the international educational uh, standings. And it's, it's, it's not happening. It's just, it's not, we're not seeing the results. So on, on, on page six in the introduction, the introduction, yes, we can. These are some of the, some of the bullet points of the things that really uh, stood out to me. So in America, we have tougher competi- competition between schools, right. schools competing with each other, stronger accountability for student achievement Performance-based pay for teachers, yeah. which, is, which is a major red flag, um, closing down troubled schools, abolishing teachers' unions, and opening more charter schools, and also employing corporate world management models in educational systems. So these are some of the things that are happening behind the scenes. These are things that are incredibly expensive. This is where a lot of your, all you taxpayers out there, this is where your, this is where your educational money is going towards. And then, you know, the the beauty of this book and the beauty of this chapter chat is really breaking this information down week by week. And, and then the other way, the other side of things is we have improving the teaching force, giving the teaching force a little bit more power, giving them a little bit more of a specialized education, limiting student testing to a necessary minimum. Yep. Placing responsibility and trust before accountability, investing in equity in education, which was a yes. which was basically Huge. basically eighty percent of of how children succeed, uh, and handing over school and district level leadership to experienced education professionals. There you How go. huge is that? That maybe politicians politicians shouldn't be making um, yep. uh, regulations related to education. Maybe people who are educators should have a pretty significant role in that. So yeah, yeah that was what I had highlighted on that on that page too. And so um, what I love then is they go right into then what Finland has been able to do and why you know we need to look at Finland's uh, educational uh, system is um, to give us a way to consider improving our own education system. Uh, and so what I love is it says Finland, has progressed from mediocrity to being a model contemporary educational system in about two decades. It took them two about decades. Yeah, mm-hmm. it took them about two decades to to become this. Um, and so I just I, I am super excited to uh, read this book to kind of Big get time. an idea of you know are there some viable options and if there are what is going to keep our 
country, our legislators, our school boards, our government from moving forward. Exactly. And, and this school, you know, and this, this book really highlights it. The United States, England. So England, you know, it, this, you know, we, we don't really know a lot about education in Europe. We're focused on, you know, our education here at home, but apparently things are, you know, maybe not just as bad, but things aren't going so well there. But it, it once again, this book highlights United States, incredibly high high school dropout rates, early teacher attrition, inadequate special education. So Finland is uh, an international high performer in commerce, technology, sustainable development, good governance, prosperity, gender equality, and what do you know, child well-being. Look yep. at that. Look at that. So, so you can, a lot of people will say, oh, they've taken this progressive approach. They've taken this liberal approach. Uh, giving teachers a lot of the power, uh, you know, it, it, they're they're not focusing enough on academics. They're not taking the education as seriously. But people are graduating from high school in Finland, incredibly prepared yep. for what's to come, and it really reinvigorated the Finland uh, economy. Yeah. And it's really really incredible how and 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 they talked about uh, Nokia being, you know, being one of the big companies in Finland that's really driven the economy. But this rise in education and this change has sparked Finland amongst all of the world powers. And if yeah. you think and if you think about it, if we fix the education in America today, what's it going to do for the economy? What's it going to do for small business? Right. What's it going right. to do for the achievement gap and the and the income gap and all of these issues? It's only going right. to improve Everybody, even if you're someone who already sends your child to an expensive private school and uh, you have a child who's highly successful, this changing education and following this, you know, the title of this chapter is Yes, We Can Learn From One Another. So <laughs> they they want us to learn from their from their changes. They want us to learn. If we instill these changes here in America, it's going to improve everybody, not just lower class, middle class. It's going to improve the entire base and, and America being a superpower. It's going to improve the entire global economy. Absolutely. Absolutely. What I found so interesting is they talk about, I mean, just some of the terms that um, in the United States, we have um, tried this artificially enhanced school reform. And it's like it's on steroids because everything in America is do it bigger, harder, tougher, faster, stronger. It's kind of the American way, right? And so they said that whether it's companies, businesses, schools, that in the United States, we have this unhealthy, unrealistic obsession with being the biggest, right? Being the best. Um, and so um, the problem is that they talked about in this introduction is that change based on this motto, if you will, is likely to be unsustainable change. It wouldn't be able to uh, uh, survive in the long term. So when we do do start exploring, you know, possibilities for education reform, we have to make sure we're not looking for a Band-Aid here, right? We're not looking for a quick fix, something that's going to solve some problems. And that's the problem with like charter schools, right? They may solve yep. the problem in the community momentarily, but all they do is then worsen the, the um, it, economy, the culture, if you will, in the public schools, right? So we have to stop. I mean, when we have, you know, um, uh, school administrators sending their own children to private schools, 
Yeah. But they're school administrators in public school. What does that say? What message does that send? So um, I, what I love so much is they talked about in Singapore and Southeast Asia. Um, I, I, don't know, I just wrote down some of the things that I found so fascinating that their educational motto is teach less, learn more. There you go. And that is the exact opposite. Exact opposite of what we say here in the United States. Here in the United States, we're like, oh, you can walk? Then we should probably start force-feeding you academics, right? We're going to start buying you toys, battery-operated educational toys, and we're going to stick you in front of educational apps. We're going to start screen time when you're like, 14 months old because here in america we believe in the we're, we're we have this love affair with the cognitive hypothesis so what we want to do is make you smarter faster right that's really right. our motto here in america okay and despite the fact that our test scores uh continue to decline um in both you know i looked at what the current usa's rank is in math and in science i mean we're 38th in the world in math i mean we're the united states of america and we're 38th in math i mean what, what are unbelievable we doing, you know and yet we and we don't get any better we get worse almost every time so there's this interesting test that they're going to talk a lot about in this they mentioned it briefly but i want to make sure our listeners are are aware of it and that you can research it before you really get into this book it's called the pisa exam and it's the program for international student assessment and i have been researching the pisa exam for a long time because i read several chapters of this book when i first purchased it and so i got really interested in what this pisa exam is and it is fascinating because it is the test that Finnish students take in high school. It's administered at age 15. It is only administered every three years. Okay. You only, it is only offered in the world once every three years. And every major country has um, their stu students take um, certain students. I don't know how they pick. It must be a lottery. I don't know. Cause not every student takes it, but it is the PISA exam that is so fascinating because it is so different from the ACT and the SAT. And as we read through this book, we'll get into it more, but um, the PISA is, is a, a thinking test so it's like um, you have to write essays and you have to explain how you got your answer you don't just show your work you actually have to explain how you came to it so it takes a long time for um, the examiners to score the test because it is not a scantron it's not something you stick in a computer and so what it really does is measures the ability to think the ability to problem-solve and this is where Finland is just killing it is on this PISA exam and this is where you know in the United States we're looking pretty shabby and so um, I I think one thing we have to consider is, you know, what are we teaching students in America? And it was near the end of this introduction, but I love this. In the United States, student, students seem to find teaching offered here in schools and universities boring and irrelevant to their needs in a rapidly changing world. And I would say that is some hardcore truth. There you go. There you go. And so and, I just asked Mike, are we doing pages like one through 15? Yeah, yes, we are. Up, everything up to page to chapter one. So yep. we read the first two, um, like four words, and then we read the introduction, which is, yes, we can learn from one another. So we didn't start chapter one. So whoever Exactly. So this yeah. is just a, it's just a nice introduction. Uh, and of course, I, I skipped ahead a little bit to chapter yeah. one to kind of see like what's, you know, what we're going to learn about. Uh, and it's really amazing. And the first one's kind of really going to talk about, uh, you know, the beginnings of Finland education and what some of the problems were, you know, post-World War II and those sorts mm -hmm. of things. And then how really how they fixed it. So this book is really the perfect second book for us to do at it Chapter is. Chat. It's it going to give us it's going to give us a blueprint uh, and it goes yeah. really, really in depth 
towards what we have to do. Uh, and so, so of course, when I'm reading through this, this uh, introduction, I'm really trying to dig deep here. And one thing that really stood out to me was on page 12, they start to talk about Finland culture and the Finnish uh-huh. culture. And uh, they started to talk about how, you know, it was almost natural for them to create this new education because what they say here is that fairness, honesty, and social justice are deeply rooted in the Finnish way of life. So uh, people have a strong sense of shared responsibility, not only for their own lives, but for the lives of others. Yeah. And fostering the well-being of children starts before they are born. So when I'm reading that, what do you think pops into my, my mind when I'm reading that? Fairness, honesty, shared responsibility. These are varied experiences, interpersonal uh, relationships, sure. executive functioning. These, the, the Finnish culture, the Finnish way of life, the way they're describing it is they are basically setting their children up for executive functioning development. When you have a culture that has shared responsibility where you're focused on the well-being of your own life or you're focused on EF, it's all about executive functioning, the well-being of your own life, but also perspective-taking, social relatedness, social responsibility, you're focused on the lives of others. So, right. it's, so obviously, these children, and they're very focused on the well-being of children, obviously, I, don't, I really don't think that they're throwing all of these baby Einstein toys at these kids. No. They're getting them, they're, this is a true culture. Where yeah. you know you know your neighbor, you know your neighborhood, you go to the local parks, you get involved. Clearly, this is a true community. So it, it went a little bit in depth into Finland. So basically, the country of Finland is about the size of Minnesota. So that kind of mm-hmm. kind of you know sets it off in your head. There, obviously, it's very small. And another thing that they also pointed out was that there's obviously not as much diversity as there is in the United States. Right. You know, it's it's you know, it's not exactly the 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 melting pot. But he pot. did say because it was in his updated like to to this you know second um, edition that it is becoming more and more diverse yes. from when he wrote the first uh, you know uh, version of Correct. the book. Um, so um, it, it was interesting to read, and I just want to point out that the author, his name, do you know how to pronounce it? Is it Posse? Posse. Yep. Posse Salberg, and he is the leading authority on Finland's educational reform, and he now works for, like, the World Bank. Is that right? Yeah, right. yeah. I mean, he's like, and he's, I, I looked him up online. I Googled, oh, yeah. I don't know, isn't Google a wonderful thing? It can be like, sure oh, is. I wonder what Posse looks like. So I get on there, and then after, because I was in the middle of reading our-, our He's a Harvard our, professor. Yeah, he's amazing. Yeah. I start reading and I can't get off of the internet now because I'm like, oh my gosh, this guy is brilliant. Amazing, amazing. I mean, and he's yep. so caring. And so is it okay, Mike, if I just, uh, there's two things I want to point out that just kind of blew my mind, okay, about Finnish education. One is that special education in Finland is not considered like a stigma. It is not yeah. that like oh, yes. plan for. Yes. Um, they, they said that well over um, half of Finnish 16-year-olds have had, have had some sort of special education, personalized yep. help, or individual guidance during their time in school. And what I, as a parent of an autistic child, you know, Aaron is 16, so I'm looking at this going, okay, half of Finnish 16-year-olds have had um, a, a special education. And yet, here in the United States, we have so many parents saying, oh, I don't want you to label him because there's a stigma. Is there not in this country? Like being different is not okay. It is Absolutely. not okay to learn differently. 
It is not okay to be a neurodivergent in this country. Like this yep. is what so many of us are trying to do is, is um, acceptance. You know, we need to accept that there are always going to be different ways of learning that um, a child who has a diagnosis of dyslexia is going to learn differently than a child who does not have dyslexia. Right. So, but it's so fascinating to me that they don't have to have a special education team that they yep. don't have to write IEPs that they just assume that if you need every student is at some point going to need a little extra help. Every student is going to need some guidance, some one-on-one extra instruction, and it's not taboo. It's not something negative, and it certainly isn't something that you're going to sue the school district over if you don't get it. It is just built into their education system. Beautifully said. Beautifully said. So much to learn from Finland. The other amazing thing that they talked about that this has been, and here, I've got to grab it now because you know me and all my books, but um, I really would love to do this book sometime, depending on if we have time. We have so many books we want to do, but I've brought this <laughs> yep. up before. The oh, Whole yeah. Myth by oh, Alfie yeah. Cohn. And um, Alfie Cohn is kind of a rebel in the educational world. But I love <laughs> it says, um, in Finland, teachers teach less. Are you hearing this? And students Te- spend less time studying both in and out of school than their peers in other countries. So Yet they very- perform very high on those final standardized tests. Think about that. Think about that. Is homework, you know, I I think I mentioned uh, uh, maybe last week or two weeks ago that, you know, we have kindergartners in this country who are sent home a packet of homework on Monday. And that packet of homework is to be turned in on Friday. Do any of you uh, listeners have kindergartners? Can any of you attest to this, that this is what is happening? I hear this all the time, you know, from friends and family about the amount of homework that their five-year-old is doing. And so I just am always blown away by that um, uh, because we um, know that's not developmentally appropriate for a five-year-old to come home after being in school eight hours. You know, when you and I went to kindergarten, at least it was half day, right? At least it was three and a half hours. Yeah. Now they're in school all day, very limited amount of free play, very limited amount of recess, and then they're going to come home and do homework on top of it. I mean, what, what, in, who, who, what? I I just, I, I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't even know what, what to say about this. Unbelievable. So, and, and, uh, so, Number 10 here on page 14 really, really sums it up. So here, so here at all of the factors that are behind finished school success seem to be the opposite, opposite. <laughs> of what is taking place in the United States and much of the rest of the world, where yep. com- competition, test-based accountability, standardization, and privatization seem to dominate. So, yep. here, so here's the thing. The thing that th- that really stood out to me about this introduction is that in Finland, the power goes towards the educators. For some reason in America, that seems to be the backwards flip here. So before I wanted to highlight something, uh, it's so basically right here on page nine, the third aspect of change is a systemic development of respectful and inspiring working conditions for teachers and principals. And Finland pays its teachers well. The teachers, the teachers control the curriculum, student assessment, school improvement, and community involvement. So, which yeah. is that whole varied experiences thing. But one of the things I love about being a speech and language pathologist is really just the the whole field and the crew of SLPs. So there's right. probably there's probably more SLP Facebook groups than any other career yeah. in the world. <laughs> we have we have speech pathologists at large. There's uh, speech pathologists in schools, yep. articulation, Preschool, private practice, yeah. SLP Preschool, uncensored, all those people. 
So there you go. So there's so many SLP groups. This is what we do. We band together. We share our ideas. We share the downtimes. I remember pre-pandemic, we had the whole SLPs crying in their car thing, all all that stuff going on. You know, there's all all this crazy SLP stuff. And the way that we all band together and we support each other is what I love the most about this field. And of course, everything else we do, of course. But But, that's why I have to say... Isn't it amazing what living in the digital age allows? Because I know you talk about excessive passive screen time experiences are creating, you know, huge issues for our young children with developing nervous systems. Um, But uh, how grateful we have to be. Uh, Technology itself is not inherently bad. And we always have to remember that because there are so many people. And I do. I talk a lot about um, uh, uh, technology and excessive screen time. I I talk about it all the time. All the time, I know. You're probably like, here you go. <laughs> yeah. here you, go. you saw my screen time plan. Again. But um, the point is that in, in technology itself is not inherently <laughs> bad. It's how you use it. And it's how it interferes with child development. It's what it displaces in child development. That's where we should be concerned. But look how beautiful it is that we can talk to someone from Singapore and Texas Speech Mom. She, she made a comment yep. that I just have to uh, reiterate. She said um, she has a beautiful daughter, um, and you need to follow, if you're an SLP, you need to follow Texas Speech Mom. She's amazing. Um, but she said her daughter has um, nightly homework in preschool. Did you hear my words? Did you hear my words? So if you question why I drink, okay, you must understand <laughs> that it is because we are living in a world that doesn't even acknowledge developmentally appropriate practice anymore. We just nope. sweep it under the rug. Nope. Yet, SLPs, nope. we are classic at saying it's got to be evidence-based, evidence-based. Everything has to be evidence-based. But yet, our whole education system is failing our students starting in preschool because we're not looking at developmentally appropriate practice. So, um, Kinder, kindergartners with nightly homework. That just, let, let, let that sink in. That is absolute insanity. These are, the, these, are, these are young kids that have like the tiniest little frontal lobe, first yeah. of all. So that means little resilience, little uh-huh. task. Think of the fight. Think of the fight. What are these... What are these kindergartner teachers? Well, not 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 the teachers, but the, this this whole system we've created now. Right. Uh-huh. Think of all the fights that this starts now at home, where the parents are making them get all their work done just because parents know that they have to get their work done. But yeah. and it's it's sort of the parents' responsibility to make oh, sure, sure kids get their homework done. And think about these are young; these are like babies. These are little yeah. babies, and they're probably going to sleep at night, putting their head on their pillow, and having anxiety. About okay. turning their homework in. How much yep. more homework am I going to have? I'm not yep. going to be able to play. I'm not going to be able to see my friends because I have to do my science homework and I have to do my right. math homework. It's ridiculous. These oh. are not middle school kids. These are these aren't even elementary school kids. No. It, it, ho- homework in kinder in kindergarten should be universally banned. Period. The one of my millions of reference books um but I, I and i say this like i swear every week and i'm sorry mike because you i sound like a broken record but a no this is great as a learning child is far and away the best book i've ever read um and it's in full color and look at all the photos so it's a fast fast read that's what our um, book's gonna look like anything that um opened my eyes more to the importance of play-based movement and so it is so important that we acknowledge you know here can i just tell you because a lot of you don't know my story i do we have three children and we homeschooled all of 
of them. And we didn't start out homeschooling our two neurotypical daughters. They went through third and fourth grade. And our fourth grader was so bored at school and she was getting in trouble for reading in class because she was the first one to finish her work. And then, so anyways, we had all these things. But here was my concern. So my third and fourth graders were coming home from school. They had been with you for eight hours. And then they had like two hours of homework at night. So here was my question. You have them eight hours a day. As parents, we don't even get to see them. When they do come home and it's time for family time, dinner time, we can't because they have homework. So what I want to know is what did you do for eight hours a day? I don't understand what happened during those eight hours that my child has to come home and do two more hours of work. I don't comprehend. And what Alfie Cohen talks about in the homework myth is, look, there is a time and a place for homework. And if it extends learning, so like when you're in high school and you're doing a research paper on King Henry VIII or on, you know... Um, why Pluto is no longer deemed a planet. I don't know what your research is on, but when that extends your learning and you're learning how to research, right? You're learning how to um, identify evidence-based information and research, then homework makes sense, right? You should be given two weeks or a week or whatever to complete a a six-page report. But just doing busy work every single night for the sake of busy work, tell me how that fits into, what did we say about Finland, that they are about the whole child, that they are there for- um, They focus on child well-being on child well-being you tell Mm -hmm. me how doing homework every night focuses on child well-being does the united states do we really even care about our children nope we we care about we care about competing with other countries that's really that's really all it is exactly how are our test scores doing not too well there you go exactly yep so what what are we doing yep and think and think about all the students in certain parts of the country that by the time they get out of school First of all, they have hours of homework to do, but by, by the time they get out of school, they have what? In, in, in certain parts of the actual school year, what? One hours or two hours of actual sunshine to be able to go outside and play? Think about it. When it's winter, I, yeah. I remember getting, I remember in New York, I remember getting out of school and walking home or getting home and it was already dark outside. Sure. And there's not too much to do. And I'm supposed to sit in my house and regulate my body to, right. and, and delay gratification, which is even harder to do now. So it, it's, it's, it's really, it's very, very backwards what we are doing to these That's students. Right. And, That's you know, and I, I had an Instagram quote uh, probably two years ago that basically just says, we have created an environment that creates anxiety rather than fostering resilience. Yep. And that's exactly what it is. We so have created the opposite exactly. of executive function training, yes. right? We're yes. not. So my post tomorrow, no, 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 it's not my post tomorrow. I'm writing a new, I'm in, oh, Mike, you'll be, you'll be thrilled to know this. I'm writing a new course. I'm actually giving it next Tuesday. I'm the like keynote for like a early childhood school district. It's our first day back at school. And they're okay. having to come talk for four hours. Like, wow. So I'm okay. doing this uber um, interactive, like not just sit still and listen to me lecture for four hours. It's going to be uber interactive. But the title of my new course is called, um, Supporting executive function development through play-based learning. Are you so proud of me? Unbelievable. Love it. So as I'm writing this, you got me hooked on um, Center 
on the developing child at Harvard yes. University. So they're, I, I are, they, are, they are amazing. So amazing. much information. And I yes. just have to share a couple things. So when I said that it was going to be in my post, it's because I was just typing it, but it's for my course next week. <laughs> but I found this fascinating. It said, um, no one is born with executive function skills. Born with the, pot- the potential to but develop them. Born with the potential to learn them. Now, there you go. Just fascinating. Yep. So yep. our genes provide the blueprint for these learning for learning these skills, but they develop through varied experiences and practice. The foundation is laid in infancy when babies first learn to pay attention. Um, so it goes on and on. But this is what I found the most fascinating because my seminar next week is for early childhood staff, which is three to five year olds. Are you ready for this? See, you know this because you're an EF like um, guru. These executive <laughs> function skills typically develop most rapidly between ages three and five. Yeah. Oh, crap. Followed yeah. by another spike in development during the adolescent and early adult years. It during takes puberty. a long yep. time and a lot of practice to develop them. But as children's executive function skills grow, adults can gradually allow children to manage more and more aspects of their environment. There you go. I just, there, it's fascinating. It's yeah. about executive function. And everything. It's just baffling to me that our schools aren't on the EF bandwagon. Like this is to me what you and I are doing here, you know, um, is we are trying to, because you have changed. I mean, I just, I just can't even tell you how much I've already learned from you and helping me to understand that all of these foundation skills are actually EF skills, right? It's exactly what it is. Executive function skills. So it's executive functioning always. Even though they may not come right out because this is what we're finding is the author, Paul Tuff in this book, he did use EF occasionally, but he also used character and non-academic skills. And, you know, there's all these, these words, these terms, but what I think you and I need to stick to our guns with is calling them executive function skills. No matter what the authors call them, you and I know that those foundation skills for learning and development are executive function, prefrontal cortex skills. And that's exactly what it is. It's these, it's, it's independent skills. It's the skills to be independent. So we focus so much on academics and competitiveness and schools challenging each other, uh, individuals challenging each other, all the constant standardized testing, because we want people to be able to learn, hold information in their mind and yep. regurgitate it onto a test. But we don't focus and, but we don't <laughs> and that's focus. How we measure learning. And right? that's exactly what it that's is. That's how we measure learning. But we never focus on how independent is this child becoming? Right. How many times we see it time and time again, someone graduates high school, honors degree, AP classes, high school diploma, make it, makes a speech at graduation, but they cannot do a single life task on their own. <laughs> they go to college and they drop out their first semester. That is, that is probably... You know, that, that, that's so much of my caseload of what I work with within my private practice is, is kids who were successful in high school, they go to college, and things don't work out for them because nobody ever focused on executive functioning and academics, a- academics got them nowhere. That's right. That's right. So the one thing I would like to do, and we've talked about a couple of them, but at the end of this introduction, they talk about the 10 notions or the 10 ideas that are going to be discussed in this book. So for those of you who are, you know, inter- first of all, I would love for our listeners to respond. Who is reading along with us? Just let us know, say I oh, yeah. am or me. I would just love to know if anybody else is reading along because the reason Mike and I spend a whole hour, which probably seems excessive to a lot of people um, <laughs> on one single chapter. Not us. Because we know that not everybody has the time to read it, right? So sometimes it's easier to listen when you're driving in your car to the podcast or whatever. Um, But so I I thought it would be a nice thing to just kind of talk about. These are the 10 notions that are explained in detail in this volume of the book, okay? 
So Finland has an education system in which young people learn well and where performance differences, are you listening people? Where performance differences among schools are small. Mm -hmm. Meaning there aren't good schools and bad schools, right? Yep. There aren't rich schools and poor schools. There aren't inner city schools and suburban schools, okay? What were you going to say, Mike? Is somebody asking what the book is? Someone said, what's the book called? Yep, it's yep, called but, but we have a lot of a lot of people uh, reading along and yeah, people finish lessons, yep, 2.0, exactly. Again, if you want to buy 3.0, I just don't know how different it is. It yeah. literally just came out this year and I had already purchased 2.0. So we're going off that one. So I love the idea that we could possibly that there we could have a conscious decision to say we want education um, to or we want our schools to be um not so variable, you know, not have good schools, quote, good schools and quote, bad schools. Um, but what I love is the second point that um, the author says is this has not always been so. So what mm -hmm. I love so much is they're going to tell us, OK, so if you used to have high quality schools and not very good schools, how did you get to this point where there are not huge performance differences in Finland? Teaching is, oh, are you ready for this? Do we have any teachers on? Tell me if you're a teacher. I have to know. In oh, yeah. Finland, teaching is a prestigious profession. And many young Finns aspire to be teachers. As we read on in this book, I will just give you a spoiler alert that uh, teaching is as valued and as desired as being a doctor. And in, in fact, they are paid so well that yep. it is. And, it, and we are going to talk about it is extremely difficult to become a teacher in Finland because Correct. just like it's difficult to get into veterinarian school here in the States or medical school here in the States in Finland, you have to be the best of the best to become a teacher. And they will explain why they think that that is so important. So therefore the Finns probably have the most competitive and academically challenging teacher education system in the world. It's fascinating to read as we go into this book, how they revamp their university systems. Yeah. Not just anybody gets to be a teacher. I mean, you have to make, you have to be accepted kind of like how you have to be accepted in a nursing school here. I know that because my daughter is a nurse. And so when she applied, she had to, you know, and if you don't get into nursing school, you, what are you going to do? You're going to have to start over, right? So, I mean, this is a big deal. Um, as a consequence, teachers in Finland, ooh, wouldn't you love this, teachers, have a great deal of professional autonomy, okay? There you access go. Access to purposeful professional development throughout their careers. Finnish education policies since the 1970s have aimed at having a good school for every child rather than ranking high on international education tables. I couldn't love that more. Well, you know, we shouldn't be in this competitive mode. We should be in this for our children because the United States culture is different from the culture in Finland. And that's what I love in this book. The author says, don't try to be copycats. Like you're not going to be able to replicate every single thing that we have done here in Finland. What we're saying is you need to make a conscious decision to do what is best for students, for children, and to do what is best for teachers instead of saying, Ooh, it's my political agenda to get there you go through, right there you go okay, a couple more points mike almost half i told you this of finnish 16 year olds um have had some sort of special education or personalized help in finland's teachers teach less and students pen, spend less time studying both in and out of school finnish schools lack the the census-based standardized testing test preparation and private tutoring that is common in the united states and the rest of the world and the 10th thing, Mike already read this, all of the factors that are behind Finnish success seem to be the opposite of what is taking place in the United States. There you go. There Boom. you go. Yep. And the number one thing, and you touched on it, the number one thing that stood out to me from this introduction 
is that teacher autonomy and how much teachers and true educators are involved in the educational system. It's not yep. politicians. It's not CEOs. They it's don't not, have it's, it's not big business. A core curriculum. And I think that's exactly. what you guys are going to find so fascinating is the teachers are allowed to create their own. And what I love is they have this sense of community. And so yep. the teachers within a school, they create their own curriculum together. Okay. Because again, different communities have different needs, right? So it's just so fascinating. Um, and what, what I love, I think my favorite quote from the whole first part that we read is, um, What's his name? Posse? Is that how we say Posse. it? Posse. Posse's grandma. Posse. Yeah. Posse's uh, grandma. She had a great yeah. quote. And uh-huh. she said, um, he, he said, she told this to me when I was growing up. This was just a common thing she said. If we all think the same way, none of us probably thinks very much. There you go. And I just couldn't there love that go. more because what we want is not this common core curriculum. What we want is to capitalize on every student's um, gifts because we all have talents. We all have gifts. We all have different ways of thinking. We all have different ways of processing information. And so what we want to do is figure out how students learn, how students can succeed. And then we want teachers to be able to have the autonomy to say, I'm going to make sure that you become the best version of you you can be. Right. My there you go. I want to make sure you become the, the best version of you that you can be. And Allison Moulton, I want to make sure you become the best version of you <laughs> that you can be. Right. And she's already um, great. So, yeah. It's just it's so fascinating. So the two questions that I think that they ask at the end of this, that I think it, they're worth us really contemplating is one. How do we change schools so students can learn new knowledge and skills required in an unpredictably changing world? Mm. And I think that's so important because this digital age that we live in. Um, things change frequently. And and now with the pandemic, I mean, I'm just going to say, I don't know where your state is at. We just went on full uh, mask mandate again. Yeah. It's yeah. so bad here. I mean, I am so not proud to tell you I live in the state with the worst vaccination um, uh, of, of any state. Um, I live in Missouri and um, we just, I don't know, we can't get anybody to, to get vaccinated. And so the Delta variant is wreaking havoc here in our state. And so I, I am really trying to prepare myself for full lockdown again. I, I hope we don't get there, but mm-hmm. um, this Delta variant is really creating an issue. So I almost think that this, this pandemic has created another new obstacle. Do, would you agree, Mike? It, 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 cer- it certainly has. And uh, I, I think this this past year and ever since this whole COVID issue came into play, uh, we really have been able to take a step back and see what our education has been like. And uh, parents were able to basically be classroom observers yep. during virtual school. School came into the home during virtual school and their son, their sons and their daughters were sitting there taking school online and Mm -hmm. parents could kind of sit back and listen to what the teachers were doing and listen to the flow and see their kids putting their heads down, see their kids going to YouTube and going to different, uh, (laughs) different websites on the, on the computer. Uh, And it, it really gave parents a front seat to say, Hey, is this really what my son should, my son and daughter should be doing? Yeah. You know, school was always something where kids got on the bus, they went to school, they came and home, know. and yeah. we didn't, we didn't, we didn't really know exactly what was happening. But right. this, uh, this pandemic really brought education to the forefront because it brought yeah. edu- it brought education into the home. Yeah. So we have to make sure that positive things come out of this experience because one day, who knows when. One day this pandemic will be over and COVID will be a thing of the past. It's going to happen. Who knows when, who knows when, fingers crossed, sooner than later. But when it, when it is, 
we have to look back and we have to say education is a problem. Uh, this rise to the top was terrible and it got worse and it got worse and worse and worse during the pandemic. That's right. So when we talk about the unpredictably changing world, it's not just technology. It's also, you know, the pandemic. And I think, again, like you said, parents awareness of what's going on. I was shocked at how many YouTube videos of other teachers that my son watched. My son is in a total special education program. And when he was in um, online learning for uh, over a whole, you know, a semester, I was blown away that the teacher would say, okay, go watch this YouTube video. And I don't know where the teacher went, but my son was watching another teacher online on YouTube and that happened over and over and over. And I just, my son is just daydream. My son is autistic. My son has some processing issues. My son was sitting hour after hour with no movement. And I'm just telling you, um, I uh, was kind of um, baffled that they thought that that's how he was going to learn. So it was tough. So the other question, so the first one was how um, are we going to change our education system so students can learn new knowledge and skills required in an unpredictably changing world? The second question, Mike, how to make learning possible? How do we make learning possible and accessible for all students, regardless of socioeconomic status? And I'm just sorry, this achievement gap, this is one of the biggest issues um, that we have to address. We have to make sure that we are not just creating new charter schools for wealthy kids, right? That we're putting policies into place for wealthy, for the privileged. That cannot be what education reform is about. Correct. Equal education, and especially for us SLPs and all of us listening who are in in the education field, education is a right. It is not a privilege. It is not. In some countries, in some communist countries, education is a privilege. Let's be clear that we, um, you know, we can we can talk about how disappointed we are in our country or whatever. But I will say one of the biggest advantages of living in the United States is that education is a right to every single child, even those with disabilities. And that is not true in every country. So we need to make sure that we acknowledge the gift that we have, okay, living in the United States, because not every child in the world has that. So when we talk about what this book is about, um, and I took this, uh, this book is about how Finland transformed their educational system from mediocre in the 1980s to one of the models of educational excellence and equity today. And I just can't tell you how much I love that word equity, because equity yes. is different from equality, right? Yep. This is about equity. We, we don't give the same thing to every student. We give every student what they need to be successful. Right. And so equity is the most important thing. So I am super excited to see, um, you know, how this book unfolds. I'm really excited to get your guys's feedback, um, you know, on what you think. Uh, What do you think, Mike? What are you have any? Should we take some questions from the audience or do you have some other comments that you'd like to make about this this introduction? Yeah, I think if uh, I think if the audience has any questions or any predictions about uh, comments or predictions or anything, this is a true this is a true book club. And you guys are all members of the book club. Obviously, Uh, Carrie and I can can, can do Instagram lives for, you know, 24 hours talking about this. Uh, So so please, please, you know, if you if you read chapter one, just, you know, put a little put a little emoji there and raise your hand. But the introduction introduction, and you you let us know if questions or comments. Let us know you did it. Love to know what you think. Because, again, while we're waiting for people to comment, what the United States has done, we've increased data collection and testing, increase in charter schools. We've had performance-related pay for teachers. Those are really the big things that we've done. And I don't know how we can say we're proud of those things, that that's where education has gone. Okay. um, Thank you from North. Uh, oh, somebody from, from Indonesia. Indonesia. Yeah. There we go. Yeah. Awesome. Well, we think you're awesome for joining us. We are, <laughs> yep. we are thrilled. We are yep. thrilled. 
Mike, how's it going on the podcast? Are we getting people download the podcast too? A lot of podcast, a lot of downloads. I, I, I have been amazed by how many people are downloading us, and especially ever since now that we're on Apple Podcasts. Oh, okay. like like it was really popular on Spotify, and we were getting you know hundreds a day downloads uh-huh. and, and unique listens. Okay. Unique listens basically means it's a, it's a new person listening. It's not the same person going back to it. Uh, so it'll be over, over, you know, hundreds of new unique listens a day. And then now that we're on Apple, uh, you know, there's people, uh, in Japan listening to us, oh, people exciting. in, in people in Australia, someone from Jamaica joining us tonight. And I Amazing. Think, um, that this person from Jamaica is with us every week. Am I right? Yes, I believe so. I believe so. Yeah. All the people that have been with us from the very beginning. I just yeah. want to, sh- I just want to shout you guys out the people, yeah. uh, Allison Moulton, uh, all you, uh, I, I always see a uh, Goddard school, Wayne on there, okay, uh, and, uh, Communa, Quaid, who, who is in, uh, who always does a, a, a YouTube video the next day, uh, oh, from Uganda, here, from Uganda but, yes, but I think, yes. I think she's in New York now, but then she was uh-huh. there, but uh, her videos yeah. are just incredible the next day. So a big yeah. shout out it's to everyone from the beginning. Neat. And yeah, it's really, and it, it means a lot to us. From, um, Texas Speech Mom, she's been with us the past few weeks. So we're excited. We hope you'll continue to tell your friends about this. Uh, we certainly would like to keep doing this if you guys find it helpful. Mike and I are fascinated. Um, and it's forcing us to do something that we want to do, but have trouble finding the time to do, which is read, right? Because we have all the reference books. I mean, I am obsessed with uh, uh, books and with learning. And I always say this, Mike, and you probably think this sounds silly, but I wish I could go like to grad school now. Like when yeah. I went to grad school, I was so burned out. You know, I've yes. been going to school since I was in kindergarten. And so going to grad school was so hard for me because I just wanted to get out and get a real job and like live in the real world. And now I'm like, I love to read and study and learn and gain new knowledge and really look at the evidence. And so this is really exciting for me. And I'm so grateful that uh, Mike agreed to uh, do this with me because this has been a pretty cool journey. Uh, we're going to be doing this for a very, very long time. And, and this is great. And I, I know once, uh, once school comes around uh, yeah. and, and, uh, and people have a little bit more routine in their schedules, uh, you know, they go to school, we'll still do it at 8 p.m. at night and people right. have a little bit more routine. People are on vacations in summertime. So for you guys, you know, on your summer Monday evenings and afternoons uh-huh. to be to be here with us and do a, a nerdy little book club like this. Yes. Uh, you know, we it, it, it is it's, nerdy. It's, it, it, but but it's it's amazing. I love when we both had our glasses on today. Oh, and we were I both know, both reading like this. It. Yeah. Well, if you know? I keep them on all the time, I, <laughs> yep. I just have old eyes. I even went to the eye doctor. I'm like, I need glasses. They're like, no, you don't. You just have old lady eyes. You just need more readers. And I'm like, yep. that's the worst thing ever. So um, somebody asked, are other countries, have any other countries adopted the Finnish style? And yes, he talks about that many other countries have. But again, Finland is its own unique culture. And so yes. you can't adopt it, you know, verbatim. You have to take the ideas um, from and the and the 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 concept, if you will, the the heart of it, and then say, now how do we make this work in the United States? How do we make this work in France, in Poland, wherever? So, um, Mike, what do you think? Somebody's asking. We, we will. Somebody, I want to know what our third book is going to be, so they can be prepared. Oof. We'll tell you next week. Okay, Mike. <laughs> we have a some talking. First of um, all, if you only knew about our conversations the yeah. next day on Tuesdays, we have about maybe I don't know. 50 or 60 different yeah. possibilities of what the third yeah. book can be. I think it'll just happen organically. I think because yeah. I'm always looking ahead in books 
Yeah. And I and I'm telling you guys, this was only the intro that gave us an intro. This book goes so in depth into what Finland did to, you know, it goes into yeah. the, the the peer coaching model and all the ways that they uh, they collaborate amongst school and personalized learning and focusing sure. on focusing on the whole child. You know, we're gonna we're gonna end up doing a, a three hour chapter chat from eight probably. to ten <laughs> on one of these yeah, chapters. Probably. But, but, but this is, so, you know, we'll definitely choose our third book. It'll happen naturally. Will. But I hey. It, we have about five that you and have already, you know, we already said, like, we're on our A lot list. of good Maybe ones, we'll yeah. Pick one of those five. But yeah, if you guys are interested, we'll let you know so you can go ahead and get that early so that you have it. But for next week, uh, we are going to actually read chapter one. And again, this is one of those books that has pretty long chapters, kind of like yep. the last one. So it's not like they're like, you know, sometimes you read a, a fiction book and the chapter is like two pages long. Yeah, not this one. So... Um, this chapter one is called The Finnish Dream, A Good School um, yep. for All. And it is from page 17 to page 53. So it is a pretty lengthy chapter. So again, if you don't have time to read it or to listen to it, you know, if you do an audiobook, Mike and I are going to try to do a, a decent job summarizing it for you so that you can still gain the information without having to. Because um, I know, I mean, so many, I don't have young kids at home now. Mike does. Mike just has a <laughs> six-month-old baby. So I don't know yeah. if he finds time to do this. The yep. only reason I can do this is because I'm old and my kids are all old and and now I spend a lot of my time uh, really focusing on um, bettering my my skills and my knowledge related to uh, child development. So it's pretty exciting. Hey, I will do this five days a week if we can. So it's, it's, uh, you know, you know, awesome. doing doing this and all of like I got to tell you, all of the especially last week when we wrapped up how children succeed, all of the messages, the DMs I got on Instagram <laughs> for all the people talking about how amazing it. Oh, sorry, I'm back. And all the people saying how amazing it was and how they would have never read that book right. unless we did these chapter chats yeah. uh, and how they're, they're giving it to their principals and their superintendents oh. and everything. It's, it's, it's amazing. And, and, it and I got to tell you guys, this is only just the beginning and we, yeah. we're, ta we're taking notes on everything we're reading. We're making yep. what we're making what we call bullet points for change. And yep. we're put, we're putting together a comprehensive book that summarizes all of this information, uh, and and we're gonna we're gonna provide that information to everyone who needs it on exactly what the problem is and how we're going to focus on executive functioning moving forward because yeah. that's that's what it is that's the common theme in everything we see that's it's right. focus, focusing right. on the focusing on the whole child and executive functioning even though the books oftentimes do not actually use the term executive function. But just know that we are talking about that prefrontal cortex that develops um, all the way up through about age 25. You know, yeah. it, is, um, it takes years and years to develop those those skills. And so uh, make sure you follow Mike and I on social media. Mike posts on executive function every single post. I am yeah. now uh, becoming very passionate about EFs. And yeah. I have been doing a lot more uh, posting on executive functions as well. And I feel like it was kind of that missing piece because I have been a professional speaker for 11 years and have always talked about the importance of play-based learning and relationship-based learning and all of this. But I always felt like there just there was something missing tying it all together. And I finally have that piece and it is executive function skills. So Self, it is- Self-regulation, self-regulation, yep. self-motivation self-evaluation yep. those are the three core skills nonverbal self-regulation being able to regulate your emotions your body your language being able to be told no without being, having a meltdown got to be able to regulate got to be able to deal with the negativity 
self-motivation towards non-preferred tasks. That's the, that's the big one. Self-motivation towards non-preferred tasks. And then self-evaluation and the ability to learn from past experiences. And mistakes, you, right? And mistakes. You, you, can be, you can be a math whiz. You could memorize every science fact. You can memorize the periodic table. You could, uh, you could know everything about World War II and American history and world history, but you can't self-regulate. You can't deal with failure and bounce back. You don't have resiliency. You, right. can't, mo- you can't motivate yourself towards non-preferred tasks. You get straight A's in school, but you, go home, but, but you go home and play Minecraft for five hours. Right. It's not, right. It's, so, so there you go. So, so, so in our last book, what I love so much, and then I promise we're going to be done, but again, Mike and I could <laughs> just talk forever, is we here in the United States, we've been focusing on the wrong set of skills. We've been focusing on academic skills as though those are the things that determine success. We're not suggesting that you don't need academic skills. You absolutely do. But what we're suggesting is there are foundational skills called executive function skills that allow you to be successful, not only in school, but in life. And those are the things that we truly believe should be taught in education are those executive function, foundation, prefrontal cortex skills. So that's really what what we are uh, so passionate about. And the books that we choose um, are absolutely supporting through the research uh, exactly that. And how about, how about to, to wrap everything up, the very first sentence of the introduction on page one, the okay. very first sentence, it has become clear everywhere that the schools that we have today will not be able to provide opportunities for, stu- for, for students to learn what is necessary in the future. And look what I have highlighted. There you go. There that right there. That's it. I, I have, uh, I put a bunch of stars instead. Yep. I, I'm a mechanical pencil kind of guy. So, yep. uh, so that sentence right there sums it up. It we does. are not in, in our schools today. Not only are we not focusing on executive functioning, which is a greater, there you go. Alison Moulton also highlighted go. it. There you go. <laughs> so, uh, so, so not only are we not focusing on executive functioning, which is the highest predictor we have of long-term life success and independence, but what we, but what we are teaching kids and having them become very anxious about and have other internal problems and external problems about the things that we're shoving down their throat with this cognitive hypothesis, allowing them, making them dysregulated and anxious it's not preparing them for the future. So the things that we, the, there you go. So the things that we're teaching on standardized testing, the things that we're constantly teaching in school have nothing to do with future careers. Think about that. Yep. And I'm going to say it again. I say it every week. And I know those of you, uh, Allison and everybody who listens every week is like, all right, Kara, we get it. But I scored <laughs> so low on the ACT, right? But I was a very good student and I feel like a pretty successful. And look um, at you I now. I own business. I pay my taxes every quarter. I mean, you know, I, I feel like a pretty successful <laughs> uh, member of society. And yet if you would have looked at only standardized tests, those high stakes testing, you would have looked at me and my score and said, you can't make it. You can't go to college. Yep. You can't yep. be successful. You'll never do well. You might as well just go work at, you know, be a work in retail or whatever. Yep. And so that is where I really am passionate about this because I am not a good test taker when it comes yep. to standardized tests, right? But that doesn't mean that I can't be a valuable member of society. So, um, and, 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 and another thing, being someone who specializes in executive functioning, I work with a lot of older students. So I've been in many IEP meetings with a student where the student is being told, because the student is old enough to be in the IEP meeting, they're told, you know what? College is not for you. You, you know what? 
you need to, you should take a gap year. You know what? You should go instantly into working and get some experience, those sorts of things. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, you're, you know that because you gave this, you gave this child the self and they right. had below average expressive and receptive. You, right. uh, they have, they, they're graduating. They still have some articulation issues. It's hard right. for them to read and write those sorts of things. Okay. Right. So, okay. So you're telling them that they have to go take a minimum wage job because they right. couldn't acclimate to academia, those yeah. sorts of things. If you had actual actual executive functioning goals for this student, we could be sitting here having a much different conversation. A totally different conversation. There totally you go. Totally different. So I am so excited because it has really reshaped even my thoughts about my son, who is 16, who is autistic, who, um, you know, just looking at his goals on his IEP, it just makes me realize nobody's addressing executive function. And, Nobody. Um, Nobody. It is, it is fascinating. So once again... If it were, if I ran the world, I would move next door to Mike. I would yep. move to Pennsylvania yep. and he would Come on be down. Um, seeing my son uh, and helping me understand how to help my son on a, on a, on a weekly basis. That's for sure. So for now, I'm going to learn from Mike via this fabulous um, a tool we have called the internet. And that's I'm right. so grateful to live in the digital age. Mike and I, one day we're going to meet in person and we're going to have a party when we That's going to be a day. Invited, that's going right? to be a day. Everyone's going to know. There's going to be an earthquake. Everyone's going to know. Yeah. It's going to be awesome. (laughs) So you guys, we'll see you next week. If you are reading along with us, we're reading chapter one, the very lengthy chapter one. If you're reading along and you can't finish it, please no, no, um, no no pressure. Regrets, no pressure. Mike and I will read it all, um, probably more than once. So we will take notes and we will hopefully see you guys next week. So tell your friends, um, tell your colleagues, and we'll see you uh, next Monday night at 8 p.m. Eastern for uh, another episode of Chapter Chat. That's right. See you guys next week. Chapter one. Thanks, Mike. Take care. See see you guys. Bye-bye.